Aloha. Man, I got a sweet gift this past week. Uh, this past week, um, if you do not know, on March 30th, it is a significant moment in time for Hawaiians um, because on March 30th, we will celebrate 200 years since the gospel came to the kingdom of Hawaii. You need to give God some praise for that, right? Um, that is exciting, right? A, a, a culture and a people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly through faithful missionaries who, who left their comforts of America and come all the way down the South Americas, all the way up to Middle Polynesia, and share the gospel with a paganistic, heathenistic people, um, people that part of my bloodline and my heritage screams out um, uh, the Hawaiian kingdom. And so, so what a joy to witness that. But uh, a church plant that we helped plant in Kona was a part of a project the last two years um, in making a Hawaiian celebration, Hawaiian version Bible uh, through the ESV translation of Crossway. And we have officially got, I have officially got a copy of it. We have named it Kavai Ola, the, the uh, living water book. That's what it means, living water. And so we get to celebrate this, but don't you worry. We're going to order a, a couple cases, and we're going to make it available to the church before the celebration begins this month. But would you give God praise for this, right? And you may say, what's, what's significant about this? First off, I believe ESV is one of the greatest literal translations out there from the original language of uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, Koine Greek. But also, I believe this right here is powerful because in the beginning few pages, you have the story about how the gospel came to the islands. Uh, and so you, some of you come from Hawaiian background like me and many of you in this uh, church. You guys will see some of the heritage that we have experienced in the last 200 years of the gospel really transforming our lives for, um, for the glory of God. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We are in expository preaching church meaning that we preach straight through books of the Bible, verse by verse. Uh, today, though, we are making it an exception to change just a little because we have a, um, an initiative and movement that we are being a part of that we shared two weeks ago called Who's Your One? And before we jump into our text, I wanted to share some significant things regarding the church climate in America today. And here's some things. This is between a, this is a survey, survey done by Pew Research Center. You can go online and see this, but there is a dynamic change of spirituality in the context of the evangelical Christians today. If you do not know, saying the name Christian is not enough in our context today. Right now, even the word evangelical Christians is almost being uh, distorted from what it truly means. But the word evangel is a Greek word that is the word means the gospel, all right? That's one of the words we will say every Sunday or every time we're in the gathering together. That's, some, that's a word that we don't, we believe that is, is much bigger than any topical message we can preach on. But even if we preach on a topic, uh, we're going to point people to the gospel, amen? So I want you to see this, this heartbreaking and heart-wrenching statistics that I found online. This is a credible source, and this is a phone survey done two different times in 2009 and 2019, and I want you to see what this stat says. Number one, in 2009, 
A phone call research says out of the 100 people that they've called, said that 77% of adult Christians, uh, adults are either Christian or Catholic. Now, in, in our church, we make it very clear that today, Christian and Catholicism is not the same, all right? We, we don't believe in the same scriptures, right? Is, but, but there is an opportunity to share the true scripture, the true Jesus of scripture with people who have Catholic backgrounds and all that. But, but this is uh, the world. They view Christian and Catholic as the same people. Uh, we believe that's not true. So 77% of them are adult Christian or Catholic. Going down further, in 2009, 51% were Protestant, which we would consider Ohana Church to be evangelical Protestants, and 26% were Catholic, all right? So the rest is true, that the word that they would define, the remaining core of that would be called the religious nuns. Now, I'm not talking about Catholic nuns, N-U-N, I'm talking about N-O-N-E-S, that these, this is a, a, a agnostic, atheist, right, other beliefs, but outside of this, this is what those phone calls has represented. Now, I want you to see the staggering drop in this 10 years come today or 2019. A few months ago, this was done actually in December 2019, so just a few months ago. It says this, that today in those same surveys, 65% of adults consider themselves Christian or Catholic. The breakdown is 43% Protestant and 23% Catholic. That means the remaining is of the religious nuns are 35%. This is what it means. There is a decline in Christianity in America. All right, now, now we can go to the metrics of denominational issues. We can go to the metrics through racial issues in our context, in our culture. We can, we can blame anything for whatsoever the case is. But the reality is there is a decline, and there's really two ways we must respond. We can either be the ones that help solve the solution, right, or ones that be the issue, okay? So, so I, I pray that for Ohana Church, our desire is to be gospel-centered. Amen, right? right gospel-focused, right, and gospel-urgent. Uh, this is why church planting is big for us. And, and this is true for a lot of us even in our context today. Let me give you some stats in, in general. Like this is in general in all of America, right? It says that majority of church members, right, are only attending 26 Sunday services out of the year. Only half. This is, means that a lot of church members are attending but not belonging. They're seeing service as an event and not an opportunity to meet Jesus with other people to meet Jesus. Does that make sense? Other staggering thoughts here. For teenagers growing up in the church, think about our opio, our youth, our keiki, all in there. Keiki kana, keiki vahine, all of them, right? Three out of ten agree, uh, three out of five teenagers leave the church at the age of 18. When school is finished. Or let, let me go further. For Christians sharing their faith, only three out of ten agrees that sharing your faith with lost people, with people in general, is important. Three out of ten, right? So, so I want you to see this. Today, as we look at Romans chapter 9, I want you to see some truths in this one simple verse of, of verse 17 on how God displays his glory among us people. Ho'o ma'u kao kao. 
Would you stand with me in the reading of God's word? Now, now this chapter has a lot of debate in it, depending on what theological preference you come from. If you're Reformed, this is your favorite chapter. If you're not Calvinistic or not Reformed, this is, you don't like this chapter. You skip over it, right? Uh, but we're all guilty of having uh, pr- uh, theological preferences. Can I get a witness, all right? But may we be Christ-centered in our approach today. And this whole chapter talks about God's sovereign choice, meaning that God, God does not choose people based on them choosing him. That will preach, right? So, so, so what this scripture is sharing is that God simply chooses people because of his grace. Can I get a witness, right? All right, God does not need your help to save you. He does not need my help to save us. He, he does it completely through his precious son. So, so God makes a, Paul makes a great resounding truth in verse 17, understanding God's sovereign choice. He says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, Pharaoh, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the what? God, we pray today that in this simple scripture, would you give us truths that are both theological and relational and God, that you would honey, honey and lomi, lomi us in the process. Hug us, squeeze us, correct us. You know, um, there's anything in our lives that does not look like you, Father. Thank you for Jesus and your spirit to refine us and conform us to the image of the Godhead. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God's ohana says loud and proud. Amen. No, holy lala, you may be seated. Um, there is some joy in this one verse. And what I want to do is I want to share three questions. Three questions for us to meditate on. And I'm not really going to preach much, but I will teach a lot today. And some questions that really will help us identify our walk with Christ. Do we have fellowship with Christ? Do we have relationship with Christ? Um, These verses would allow us to sharpen who we are in Christ. So first question, question number one, what is God most passionate about? Now, I want you to think deeply about this very question. I want you to look in light of the text, right? Look into the text and see what God is most passionate about. You may say God is most passionate about his creation. God is most passionate about us, humanity. You may say that God's most passionate about missions and missionaries and mission trips. You may even say because of missions, God is most passionate about world peace, right? Or even in this spectrum today, where we are in this season, God is more passionate about politics. Can I get a witness, right? Like, like you may say that's what God is passionate about. But if we exegete and expository this text today, this small little verse in context of his sovereign choice, here's the answer, right? God is most passionate about himself. I want you to say that. One, two, three. God is passionate about himself. Now, I want you to say it like you mean it. One, two, three. God is passionate about himself. I want you to look at the verses. Let's reread it. It says, for the scripture says, Pharaoh. Was Pharaoh a good guy in the scriptures? Right? He was not a good guy in the scriptures, right? For this very purpose, Pharaoh, I have raised you up that I may show what? My power in you and that what? 
Everybody say it again. My name might be what? Proclaim in all the earth. Look at those two phrases, right? It is so true that God is all about himself. Number one, it says that he's, it's about his power. It says it's about his name. Paul is quoting Exodus chapter 9 where God is delivering Moses to Pharaoh and putting plagues on Egypt so that Pharaoh would set God's people free. Look at what chapter 9 of Exodus says. It's on the screen. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people what? Go, that they may serve me. For the time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me on the earth. God is about himself. For by now I, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this very purpose, here's the verse that uh, Paul is screaming and shouting out. For this very purpose, Pharaoh, I have raised you up. You guys see it? To show you what? My power so that my name may be what? Proclaim in all the earth. This is 2,000 years before Paul rewrites and requotes this in Romans. And what we know historically from Genesis all the way to this part of Romans, the church, the letter to the saints of Romans, what we see, it has come to fruition. There's many things that have come about where God is proclaiming his name among the earth. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Samuel 7. David thinks that he's going to build this big temple and this big, this big uh, castle for the Lord. And then in 2 Samuel 7, God says otherwise. He says, you shall not build it, David. He says, he shall build a house for my name. Who is he? He's not talking about David. He's talking about his son, Solomon. But here's the purpose why Solomon is going to build my house. Say it with me. For who? For God. For him. God is passionate about what? Himself. Go on to Ezekiel 36. It says, therefore, it says to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake. O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my what? Holy name. God is about himself. He's passionate. Psalms 103, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his what? Holy name. We see a man named David actually now excited about, no, it's not, it's for your name, not my name, Lord. This is why we're doing the things we're doing, Matthew 10, 22. We see this in this gospel. And Jesus said to them, and you will be hated by all for what? My name's sake. If there's one thing we get from scripture, it's that God is passionate about himself. Well, let's flip the coin. You may say, man, God is some conceited bug out there, brothers. Well, let me, let me tell you something, all right? Let me, let, me, let me just be very clear, all right? Before we be critical about God's passion for himself, let's talk about you for a minute. I'm pretty sure everybody has done a selfie about themselves in the last two years. And for some of us who are a little bit more proportionate than others, right? Right? We tend to take picture of the part that looked better than others, right? 
So take picture from my good side. No, take picture from my bad side, right? Like, like, like we 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 about ourselves. We love ourselves, right? I mean, the joke is, right? I've said it before. When when I was going to high school in the nineties, girls love putting butterflies on their back, tattoo butterflies all over their back. Then what happens? They begin to have children, and then the back does not look like a pretty butterfly anymore. It looks like a pterodactyl. And we ain't putting selfies about that on Facebook, I tell you that. But we love ourselves. We're passionate about ourselves. But here's the problem. God can be passionate about himself because he's God. He's the creator. Right? He can do as his please. But I want you to see, most of us, when we're passionate about ourselves, we're the opposite of God. It's, we don't share our glory with nobody. And the truth of the matter is because we have a distorted picture of who God really is. God is about himself. Here, and here really is the turning point, right? Here's the turning point for our life. Then if God is most passionate about himself, here's the second question. How do I fit in God's story? You ever thought about that? Now, we live in a prosperity gospel proclamation world today about health wealth, all this stuff. And we're not against God healing. We're not against God making people wealthy. What we are against is that the gospel is about that primarily apart from Christ. Right? And if you look at the gospel, the gospel is not you come and live prosperously. The gospel calls first you come and die to me. You come and die to me because you're passionate about your own glory and not my glory. And so the answer number two is really this. Here's how we fit in God's story. By his marvelous grace. His marvelous grace. Here's an old hymn that shouts out God's marvelous grace. It says, marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our, can I get a glory up there, right? Look at that. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the lamb was, what? Spilled, right? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. This is how we are a part of God's glorious story. By his grace. Today, you, me, we, y'all, we all deserve the same penalty today. We don't deserve God's grace today. We deserve God's judgment, God's wrath. Even today, God will be just to send every one of us to hell because he is God. But God is gracious. God gives his grace to us sinners. Listen to me. Grace cannot be good if you are entitled to have God. But that's why we do what we do. That's why there's no commitment anymore. There's no devotion anymore because we live in a culture that transcends me, me, my glory, my stats, my stuff, not the glory of Christ. Therefore, grace is perverted in our culture. 
Because we're going to do what we always want to do, and God has done so that you don't have to do what you've done. Right, right? He, he has extended his marvelous. And if this sword today, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. You know what? Because only God can provide the remedy for our salvation today. Not just salvation, we confess that he is Lord today for conversion, but sanctification. We need God not just at the moment of conversion, but also every moment of sanctification. As Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, God sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. On his knees, broken and agony. He's like sweating tears of blood. And God provides the remedy for us through Christ by extending his marvelous grace to us. Here's a reality truth for us. When, when we come to the realization that we are undeserving of God's favor, then it is at that moment we are humbled and in need of God's grace and mercy alone. Listen to me, y'all. Every one of us needs to be broken. Every one of us needs to be humbled, myself included. I am an addict at the core of my flesh. How do I know? Because me, yesterday, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some books yesterday, right? But then we started to watch some Disney Plus. That is of Satan. Let me get a witness out there, right? There's so much good movie, like, like old time movies. So we watched the first ever uh, Swiss Family Robinson movie. No, not the 1960s, the 1940s. And man, it had a great message in it, actually, a great gospel scene. But I just started watching movie after movie after movie after movie. All I did yesterday was eat movie, eat movie, maybe use the bathroom right here, movie, movie. That's all I did. I was so boring yesterday, but I missed out on the greatest thing to read and develop my mind and my conscience because all I wanted to do was watch movies yesterday. Like, I'm an addict. How many of you are addicts out here, right? Like, we are in need of Christ. We're addicts. I think John Piper said it best. John Piper, the theologian, says that he don't own a TV because he's an addict, right? He's an, and I think that is our witness. We are in need of God's marvelous grace. We're undeserving of it. Acts 2 says this, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Save. Why? Not because of anything you do, because of God's grace. Right? We're undeserving of this grace. We need Christ. And so, so I want you to be very clear. Romans 9 is screaming this picture why we are indeed need of God's marvelous grace. It's because of Christ will make his name known. And I want you to see in this text in Romans 9, 17, nobody's absent from God's story. Whether you're on the wrong side or the right side, you are a part of God's story. Listen to me. Pharaoh was raised up by God himself so that God can prove to the earth that his name is powerful. So don't trip on politicians and kings and queens and all those who are in a position of authority, even myself included, right? Don't trip. God ain't done yet. God is in complete control and he is about his fame and he allows you to be a part of that story by his marvelous grace and we get to be a part of God's glory to the ends of the earth. Here's the challenge as a kahu, as a pastor. One of the biggest challenges is when we planted this church almost five years ago, 
is the metrics of the American church plant. Well, what it looks like, what it should look like. And then what happens is the enemy does something deceiving, right? He starts to use our hearts and the hearts of other brothers and sisters in different churches to compete against each other. Right? And depending on what kind of denomination you're a part of, you have your truths, you have your fallacies, you go through that. And the one thing that I am reminded of, right, listen to me very clear. God will never measure a church based on how much they do. Okay? God will always measure a church based on the clarity of the gospel in his people. I don't know, let, me, let me say this. We can be a part of football programs. Right? Guilty, right? right? We can be a part of all these inner city works that we've done, right? And we can serve people. We can give them food. We can give them clothes. We can give them X's and O's and strategies on leadership. But if we don't give them the clear gospel of Jesus Christ, we failed that program. Right? To today, we're celebrating our state championship today in our football team at uh, Aunt Sally's. We have our banquet. Um, took this long. I know football's been done like four months already, right? Uh, but, but it took us this month, like, and I know they're going to ask me to pray. And I think for every one of us, we have a platform to showcase the gloriousness of Christ. But I want us to be very clear that the framework, or the framework of the gospel never begins with God's love for humanity. The framework of the gospel always begins with God's judgment on humanity because of their sin. But the beauty of the gospel is that part of that framework is that God desires for people to be saved in his name. How can we tell people that God loves them apart from clarifying why God loves them? If the framework is that God loves you, anybody going to accept love? But why? Because you're a sinner deserving of his judgment and his wrath but because he's all glorious and all powerful. He extends a bit of his goodness to us through his son that while we were at our worst, God gave us his best. See the framework, how it changes? But in the last 50 years, we've been preaching this gospel that just Jesus loves you. And though that is a small truth of it, the whole council of scripture teaches why he loves us, right? Because we're sinful, Right? And, and we're in need of God's grace. Well, listen to me. Not for the sake of humanity, but as we look at this text, for the sake of his name. His holy, glorious name. So, so here's the final question, and I want us to respond. Question number three, right? How should we respond? Here's a very biblical answer. We should make his name famous. We should make his name famous. I want you to hear this very clear. If you are a follower of Jesus, right, if you belong to Christ by the framework of the gospel that we just cleared today, by you understanding you are undeserving of the Lord, by you understanding that there's a need for repentance because you're convicted of your sins in front of a holy God, by that framework and by response, if you are genuine a follower of Christ, 
Uh, here's a couple things I want you to like hold faster, right? Here's what God has done for you. Number one, God has called you into a relationship with himself. Like that is some glorious reminders. Number two, God has called you into a relationship with his church. And number three, God has called you in a relationship with his world. Let me say that again, all right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is all about relationships. And how we look at that relationship and invest in that relationship really proves whether or not that's a genuine follower of Christ that comes from Christ alone. How? Number one, that God has called you into a relationship with him. A healthy relationship is based on fellowship. Right? I cannot know my wife or my children apart from intimate fellowship. I have to spend time and have to fight for that. I have to fight for that tremendously. One of the things that we fight for is we don't allow our children to sleep at anybody's house right now in this time and age. Like we don't let, uh, and that's just a conviction that doesn't need to be your conviction. That is just my conviction. We don't give them phones. That probably will never happen until probably they go to college or something. They be, oh man, you strict. You best believe I strict. They're, I mean, I'm responsible over them. Like when I see God, they, I'm going to be responsible for those three Kolohe brothers, right? Like there's a lot of things that we don't allow them to do because we know what this world provides. This world provides the opposite of what God is passionate about. Well, God is passionate about himself. This world is passionate about the world. And so we, 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 we do things that, don't, that would not allow them to stumble at this time. They're young. Eventually, we're going to have to let go of the leash a little bit longer, you know. Not let go of the leash at, as, as whole, but just the leash a little longer, right. And all that. But that's the reality. Everything's discipleship, whether they're being discipled by us or they're being discipled by the world. It's all discipleship. And so I want you to be very clear. We take our relationship with him serious. Understanding that we're undeserving of this grace, right? We're undeserving of it. Secondly, all right, let me remind you. God has called you into a relationship with his church, right? We, we believe, I know my wife and I, although the church is bigger than just the Sunday gathering, we believe that, that the, one of the ways we prove that God proves himself in us is that we devote ourselves to gatherings that are more important than any other gathering. So, like, one of the ways we strive for that is, number one, like you, th you think we're going to talk about something. No. One of the things we strive for is the gathering of our family. Just being with family. So, we, we, we love eating meals together. We fight for eating meals together. If you're one of those that when the meals pow, you, each person get their meal and go to their own room I would encourage you to rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Even when you don't want to eat with your crazy three rascal Hawaiians, right? right? You, you want to strive for that. Why? Because here's the tendency for us in our lazy context, right? We'll put TVs in every room so that TVs can be the babysitter for those children, right? Yeah, one laugh because you know I'm telling the truth. Right? Like, like. Well, uh, oh, no, better he go with gr the granddaddy, grandmama, because it's easier. Uh, and we use excuses like, oh, it's mine and my honey's time together. No, that's not true. Uh, listen to me. It is in that chaotic time that you're going to find God's grace in it, right? Just yesterday, we told Kainalu many times not to say nothing, but many times he still says something. 
And you know what I'm talking about, right? He's not edifying the body, if I'm telling you, right? Right? He's causing strife, all right? That boy been grounded for a month. You know, you think he would learn. But the reality, if God's grace is not evident in our life, we'll still be like dogs going back to our own vomit. I would fight for a gathering. Secondly, as a family, I would fight for Sunday service. I would fight. I would make that the priority of my family. Understanding the, 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 the context that eight, majority, three, uh, two, was that? three out of five children will leave the church. I would make that a priority. Listen to me. It's not about attending a service. It's about belonging to people. And that's like learning the same worship songs, learning the same theology, learning the same giving. Like those all matter, man. So I would encourage you to be that. When, when, and then when the generations come, they're going to remember, man, my mama dragged me to church. You know what I'm saying? And the reality, there's beauty when God's people come together and magnify his name. Amen? I mean, as we're seeing, just simple choruses like, for he is Lord, right? Holy, uh, hallelujah. And watching you guys pour out your hearts, like, there's some places that your kids would never see that but Sunday gatherings. Secondly, make the Ohana group of what we do, our small group emphasis, priority. Make it a priority, all right? So, so where do we go from here? Here's a question we've asked for the last two weeks. Who's your one? Who's your one? For the last two weeks, we've been praying, and we've been asking you to pray about that one person, all right, that God is calling you to share the gospel with for the next 40 days. And this is what we're saying, right? We're, we're saying to be intentional. We sense in our church that we've got comfortable with the people that's coming. Hey, every church goes through that. We've got comfortable with those who are here. But if all we do is love people who are here, that's not biblical love, right? And, and, and so, and, and gospel-centered love. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to encourage, and some of you already have your one. And so today we're kicking off a 40-day action step experience, right? An initiative that we're calling Who's Your One? And today we want you to ask your one, how can you pray for them? How can you pray for them, right? Secondly, starting tomorrow from Monday, uh, through fr every Monday till Fridays at 8.08, in, specifically 8.08 in the morning at my house. Um, we're going to meet again for the next 40 days of prayer. And we're just going to ask God to do what only he can do through these next 40 days. Also today, we have kicked off our 40-day devotional through the version Bible app. If you don't have smartphone or dumb phone, whatever kind of phone, if you got an email, we can, we can give you a PDF file on email. Just see uh, lane after service. We can get, this is what we want to do. We want to be, number one, intentional about the gospel. We just don't want to come here, gather, and feel good about the 40, 50 people that show up every Sunday. No, we want to be intentional. We want other people to actually know the Jesus of Scripture, not the Jesus in this community people make up in their own mind. We want them to have a physical understanding and spiritual understanding of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ.